You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. We're going to be in John's Gospel, John chapter 2, um, if you want to be there with me. Um, John, um, so, so there's four Gospels, right, that tell kind of the life of Jesus. Three of them are what we call the synoptic Gospels. They include a lot of the same stories, a lot of the same words of Jesus, a lot of the same miracles of Jesus. And then there's John. He's kind of like the outcast, right, the kid that nobody picked for kickball. Uh, he's doing his own thing. He's... Uh, He's got different stories and different miracles, and he, and he frames his gospel differently. And so what we find here in chapter 2 of John is Jesus inaugurating his ministry. Now, in other gospels, we see Jesus reading from the scroll of Isaiah and announcing that he is the Messiah that would come to bring good news to the poor and set the captives free and bring sight to the blind. Or um, other gospels talk about his, his baptism and inaugurating his ministry, but here, in John's gospel, we have Jesus inaugurating his ministry with a miracle at a wedding in the town of Cana in Galilee. So, John chapter 2. On the third day, a wedding took place in Cana of Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding as well. When the wine ran out, Jesus' mother told him they don't have any wine. What has this concern of yours to do with me, woman? Jesus asked. My hour has not yet come. Do whatever he tells you, his mother told the servants. Now, six stone water jars had been set there for Jewish purification. Each contained 30 uh, gallons. Fill the jars with water, Jesus told them. So they filled them to the brim. Then he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the chief servant. And they did. When the chief servant tasted the water after it had become wine, he did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. He called the groom and told him, everyone sets out the fine wine first, and then after the people have drunk freely, the inferior, but you have kept the fine wine until now. Jesus performed his first sign in Cana of Galilee. He displayed his glory and his disciples believed in him. So, can we just acknowledge that this is a weird miracle? Like a lot of miracles that Jesus performs. Um, if you ask the question, what would have happened if he didn't perform this miracle? Well, um, somebody would still be blind. Um, somebody would still be lame and not walking. Um, thousands of people would still be hungry. A storm would continue, right? Like, like a lot of the miracles that he performed had good um, quality results. Um, this miracle, if we ask that question, what would have happened if Jesus didn't perform this miracle? Well, People would have sobered up, right? Like, <laughs> like that's so. So Jesus like provides more wine for people who have already drank a lot of wine. Okay, so so was this miracle even necessary? What's going on here? Um, it, it, so so this is strange, right? Like, um, and and as a student minister, I kind of see Jesus as a student minister, as a as a youth minister. He's got his disciples there with him. They were probably teenagers at this time, and he, so his first youth trip, he takes them to this wedding. Where, like, that's, that's good, right? Like, we're celebrating love and um, th- this, this picture of, of, of what marriage is. Uh, but, but there's adult beverages, you know, and there's, there's dancing and there's a celebration. And then the youth minister makes a whole lot more wine so that people can maintain their buzz, right? Like, so, 
So just have have some mercy on your youth minister next time something outrageous happens on a youth trip. That's all I'm saying. Right? Like, like I don't know if they were checking IDs. I don't know if Jesus, like, you know, was like, like who was underage at this party. Um, so, so there must be more going on here, right? Like, like this isn't just some strange miracle where Jesus makes sure people can stay drunk. <laughs> We're going to need some context. We're going to need to dig deeper. We're going to need to dig into the layers of this because John writes in a way that there's multiple layers to the things that he writes, and there's always something just beneath the surface. So layer one, the setting. Okay, so ancient Jewish weddings, there's several components to these weddings that reflect God and um, God and his bride, right? Like, like it, it's a picture of what God was doing in the unfolding story of his covenant with Abraham, um, his people that he rescued uh, and, and, and made his treasured possession. In fact, God uses that um, when he speaks of Israel, my treasured possession. Now, that's a phrase that the groom would say to the bride before they approached the altar to, to be married. Um, so before a wedding takes place in, in first century Jewish weddings, um, the groom's family is making arrangements with the bride's family. And if the two families agree, the two families come together at the potential bride's home. A glass of wine is poured by the potential groom's father and the potential groom offers it to the potential bride. And so, so, so this glass of wine is set before her, and he, and he says something to the effect of, this is the cup of a new covenant I am making with you today. And she has the choice to accept the cup and drink the wine, agreeing to be his wife or to reject it. Now, if she accepted it, the groom would return to his father's house to make preparations. See, family households back then had multiple dwelling places on the family property, and usually um, an addition would be made on to the father's house. Um, and so the groom would go to prepare a place to make, uh, to build on an addition to this house that would become a home for his future family. And so when the groom builds this extension onto the house, um, finally, um, he would return to the bride. Now, uh, John uses this uh, language in John chapter 12, uh, when Jesus says, in my father's house are many dwelling places, if not I would have told you, I'm going away to prepare a place for you. And if I go away to prepare a place, I will come back and I will receive you to myself so that you, uh, so that where I am, you may also be. So this is a picture. This is, this is wedding language that Jesus is using. Um, and we also see this in God's first encounter with Abraham when he calls Abraham to follow him, to leave his family of origin and to come make a new family with him. And so when the groom finished the house, he would return for his bride. And this is when the wedding took place. This is when the whole town would gather to celebrate for an entire week. Weddings lasted an entire week. And so the groom had returned for his bride and it was time to celebrate. So the bride was consecrated. All right, she was, she was bathed, she was perfumed, she was dressed in fine clothes and jewelry. She was prepared for her groom. And it began with this trumpet blast or a shofar, a horn announcing that it was time. And so they made a hoopah. Okay, so have you heard of a hoopah before? A hoopah, they would take a prayer shawl, so this piece of fabric, um, and they would attach it to four posts, and the four posts would be held over the bride and the groom. Represent, it represented God's glory and blessing. And so we see this, um, this represents something from Exodus, okay, when God led his people and hovered over them in a cloud by day and fire by night. It was God's glory um, 
and blessing over his people. And so God led his people on this journey that would be a marriage between heaven and earth, between Israel and the divine. And so the text says in Exodus 19 that a cloud covered the mountain. And then Moses came down from the mountain to the people and consecrated them. And they washed their clothes. And he said to the people, be prepared by the third day, which is how this uh, wedding starts out. On the third day, there was a wedding. Um, And on the third day, maybe that sparks other images in your mind of something else that happened on the third day. And so the couple is under the hoopah. Um, and they would sign the ketubah. So the ketubah, another Hebrew word, um, talking of it, which is a, a wedding contract, right? A, a marriage agreement, all right? So, so it had things in it uh, about the kind of relationship that this was going to be. Um, commitments and promises of how they would treat each other and the type of um, household that they would work to create. Um, and this is reflected in Exodus 20, like we talked about just now with the Ten Commandments. Um, God gave what we call the Ten Commandments to his people. And while we sometimes see these as um, some sort of moral standard, there's this other tradition and understanding that these are a ketubah, a marriage contract, a marriage agreement of what it will take to make this relationship work. So with the cup of wine accepted by the bride, the house has been prepared by the groom. The groom returns The bride has been prepared. The trumpets have sounded. The glory of God is hovering over the couple, symbolized by the hoopah, and the ketubah has been signed. The couple would be taken into the bridal chamber where they alone would enter and later come out. Um, And that's when the party would start, right? That's when the whole town gathered Um, because travel in these days was uh, a little more difficult than here. So there's no honeymoon. There's no, this couple doesn't leave and go off on a honeymoon. Instead, the whole town makes sure that their responsibilities are taken care of and the whole town makes sure that they can enjoy this week-long celebration of their love. So um, when the first audience witnessed this, um, when, when the first readers of John's gospel um, read this, their mind would have gone to this story, right? The story of God and his chosen people. Um, when we go to the wedding and, and we uh, think about marriage, we should be aware of something more going on here. It's more than the two becoming one. It's about God and human. It's about heaven and earth. It's about this relationship that God wants between with us. And that's where we find Jesus in John chapter 2. The setting evokes these images and thoughts of God's story from creation and the first marriages, the first marriage in Genesis chapter 2 to Abraham's calling and covenant um, to the exodus and to the giving of the law to the way marriage is used as a metaphor throughout scripture by the prophets, right? It's a time to celebrate that the two become one. And so we come to this wedding in John chapter 2, and we find that John sets up his gospel a little bit differently than the other gospels, right? It's not Jesus' baptism. It's not the reading from the scroll from Isaiah announcing that he has come to bring good news to the poor and freedom for the captives. It's a wedding. It's a wedding where Jesus inaugurates his ministry with what John calls his first sign, his first miracle. John wants to be clear that this is a celebration. What Jesus is doing is a wedding. This is a picture, right? There's this ideal relationship between God and man, and Jesus has come to make that ideal a reality. Layer two. I had a a professor that would always um, go to the next point in his notes, and he would say, 
um, like number B or letter one, like he would always like transpose the two. So, so layer number letter B, um, the substance. Okay. Um, so the substance, the content, um, of this first sign is wine. So wine brings with it all sorts of images and thoughts for the first audience as well, because wine was often used when God spoke of a time when his rule would be on earth as it is in heaven, right? Like, that they called it God Shalom. We might think of, we might call it heaven. Um, but it's this idea of wholeness and peace because their understanding of heaven was a time when all is made right. When God is on the throne and everything is as he wants it, what they would call God Shalom. So, so these descriptions in the Hebrew scripture um, of heaven and God Shalom, they always included wine. Wine was a sign that things were working as they should. It had an element of right economy, right? The economy was good. There's not a famine. Wine is available. Um, every, it's this right economy where everyone contributed to the common good, and God was blessing that. Um, because heaven was not some far-off separate place, but more of a state of being when all was made right by God. So over and over, the prophets would share visions of a time when God would restore everything what we call heaven or what we call God Shalom. Wine was there in Isaiah 25 uh, and 61, Jeremiah 31, Joel chapter 2 and 3, Amos 2 and 9. And likewise, um, when injustice was rampant, when God's rule was ignored, when there was no Shalom and no heaven, we see that wine is withheld in Amos chapter 5 and Zephaniah 1. Um, in Haggai 1, we see this over and over where they're, 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 they wouldn't have wine. Wine would be withheld. And so wine is this picture of heaven. And so we have the setting and we have the substance. Um, uh, layer, letter 2.A, um, <laughs> the vehicle. So, so, so the way Jesus did this miracle is interesting too. Now, at some point, the water becomes wine. It's not clear whether it is wine when it is in the jar, it's wine when it's pulled out, or it's wine when it hits the lips of the person tasting it. Um, but Jesus used... Um, these ceremonial uh, jars. Now, we have to assume that there were empty wine bottles all over the place, right? They had already drinking all the wine in the town. Um, now, wine in these days, um, you've probably heard of wine skins. So a wine skin was probably something you would have um, to serve a household, right? It was enough for, for just the people in your house. Um, here, uh, they probably used uh, these wine amphorae, these, these bigger jar things. Um, so that's probably what would have been um, around. But John wants to make it clear that he used the Jewish religious ceremonial washing basins, right? These big jars uh, filled with water. Um, because for us, uh, we might be offended by this miracle because like the uh, the ongoing intoxication, right? Like this kind of offensive. Um, but for the Jews, this is where Jesus steps on their toes because he doesn't use the empty wine uh, things. He uses the ceremonial jars for washing. Now, um, these are a part of a bigger system, right? Like, like these are a part of the Jewish system, the, the, the way they worship, the way um, they uh, use things for ceremony and things were sacred and some things were not. And so Jewish laws were often about separating um, God's people from other nations, right? Making them different. And so there were a lot of laws about not mixing things, right? Like you get the idea of kosher. 
Um, like, like you can't mi mix milk and meat, right? Because milk um, is something that has to do with life. Something has to be alive to give milk and it provides life. Um, and then meat, like in order to eat that burger, something has to die, right? So, so there's this mixing of, of death and life that you don't do in Jewish culture. So you don't mix these things. So you don't mix, so you can't have a cheeseburger, right? Like you can't have um, uh, the cheese and the burger. You can have your burger, you can have your cheese, um, but you can't mix the two. Um, so the same um, is, is used for these items that were used for sacred purposes. Like these items were used for these sacred purposes, so you couldn't use them for unsacred purposes. Um, so neither are bad in themselves, but if they mix, it's all bad. So when people drank this wine from these stone jars that Jesus made and he gave it to the host of the party, they became unclean, all right? So, so the spiritual disease called tuma, right? And, and when you become unclean, when you, when you touch a dead thing or when you mix milk and meat or when you uh, do these things that, that break the ceremonial cleanness, you have to go through ceremony, ceremonies and rituals and offer sacrifice to become clean again. So everybody at this wedding is now unclean. Uh, thanks, Jesus. Um, so, so John is making clear that Jesus is taking us from ceremony and ritual to celebration, right? He takes, he takes part of what had become this rigid religion, um, and he doesn't discard it, right? He uses it. He pulls it forward. Because uh, sometimes um, religion can become rigid, right? Like it, it can become uh, something that, that holds us back rather than allowing the Spirit to bring us forward. Um, sometimes it's comfort, right? Sometimes our religion is, is comfortable. Um, and you come to a place where you're like, this is a good place. I'm here with Jesus and I'm good. Uh, and you settle down. And the problem is Jesus keeps going, <laughs> right? Like, like the Spirit keeps pulling us forward. Because Jesus doesn't say, hey, come sit with me. He says, come follow me. Like Jesus isn't going to be still for you. We have to continue, and some things that hold us back, um, Jesus is going to, to use to bring us forward. So Jesus uses these, this part of their religion in a new way. He takes what was holding them back, and he uses it to bring them forward. He says, basically, those laws for separating things, I'm making everything one. Right? The separation of, of sacred and non-sacred, it's all sacred now. Right? Those things, those divisions between clean and unclean, I'm making it all clean. Life and death, I'm defeating death. The divisions between Jews and Gentiles, male and female and enemies, I'm here to tear down the walls that divide. And this is a wedding where the two become one. And this is a love we're celebrating. Jesus is pulling us forward out of the ceremony and into a celebration. Layer letter number two, um, the volume, the abundance. And so, so Jesus doesn't just make enough wine for the, for the party to go on. He makes too much wine, right? He doesn't just make too much wine. He makes too much high-quality wine for people who have already had too much wine. And so let's do the math. Okay, this, this miracle takes place in a town called Cana. And like we said, um, the whole town would be present um, for this celebration. So... Um, Estimates are that at best, Cana was 200 people. So you have 200 people. And, and we also have guests from out of town, like Jesus and his mother were invited. So, so maybe we had maybe 100 more people. So, so at most, 300 people present at this wedding. And so we have six stone jars that are 30 gallons each. 
which comes to 180 gallons. All right, mathematicians keep up. Let's go. Uh, now, a standard pour of wine is five ounces. Now, I know some of you pour a little bit more than that, um, <laughs> but that's the standard pour. So, so how many glasses of wine are we talking? So 180 gallons is 128 ounces per gallon times 180 comes to 23,000 something ounces. Jason's keeping up, um, which um, is about 4,600 more glasses of wine at this wedding for 300 people, which comes out to be like an extra 15 to 16 glasses per person. And some people weren't drinking, like some of them were kids um, and, and who knows how big the town, you know. Um, so it sounds like this is a waste, right? Like, like all that wine that's sitting in these stone jars, like people got to gotta get to drinking <laughs> um, or we need to invite some more people or this is all going to be a waste. So what we have here is Jesus' reckless abundance Right, like, but but what John is foreshadowing is what he said in John chapter ten, what we um, used for our uh, time of practicing the presence of God, that Jesus comes to give life and give it abundantly. So we're not talking about material possessions as our American minds tend toward. Um, what Jesus comes to give abundantly is the things that we really need, right? Like grace and mercy and forgiveness, um, this welcome, this embrace, the relationships of the community of the church. Um, a purpose, um, the, the sharing on mission, the joy, the peace, the patience, the kindness, the goodness, the gentleness, self-control, and love without end. Jesus provides these things without limits, right? Like this isn't going to run out. You're never going to run out of these things. Jesus just gives and gives and gives this endless supply, and it's all yours because Jesus is making this marriage a reality. Now, there's this... Um, other part of the story that I, I want to uh, kind of look at. It's, it's Jesus' interaction with his mother because his response to her remark doesn't seem to be the right response, right? It, it's almost as, he's, as if he's answering another question, as if he's talking about something else. Um, so Jesus was at a wedding, right? And what, what do you do when you're single and you're at a wedding? You think about your own wedding, right? You think about um, your future spouse. You think about the married life. You either look forward to it or you dread it. I don't know. But weddings, they, they get you thinking, right? Like they remind you of this bigger picture. And so as an introvert, I'm thinking like Jesus was an introvert too. Um, Jesus, um, I'm thinking that his mind was far off at this moment. I'm thinking that he was thinking about somewhere, some other thing. I'm thinking that he might have been thinking about his own wedding. Right, like, like what it's going to take for this marriage to take place. He's thinking about what he's going to have to go through to provide the wine at his wedding. And he's thinking about mankind. He's thinking about you, and he's thinking about me, and he's thinking about his mother, not only as this woman who gave birth to him and raised him and knows him better than anyone else on earth, but um, as one that he would have to die for. Right? And, and, and I think about post-resurrection, and he's talking to another Mary in the garden. And when she realizes that it's him, she throws her arms around him and says, Rabbi, she clings to him. And Jesus says something. He says, says you can't cling to me. Don't cling to me because I still have to go to the Father. 
And what he's doing is he's pulling us forward. He's saying that there's another way that you're going to have to relate to me. I'm going to send the Spirit. It will no longer be me, the one who walked with you, the one who taught, the one who did miracles, the one who ate with you. But it will be the Spirit. So, so there's a new way to relate to me. And I think when Jesus said, woman, <laughs> I think he could have said, Garrett. I think he could have said, any one of your names. My time has not yet come. Now, now I, I will go to that altar. I will finish my mission. But this wedding, today, I still have things to accomplish. Here at this wedding, I'm here to set the stage for that wedding, to remind you that when it looks like I failed, when it looks like I'm dead on a cross, when it looks like suffering, really it's a celebration. Really it's a wedding. Really it's making all things one and fixing everything that has been broken by the reign of sin and death. It's removing the dividing walls between all of humanity and bringing us all into a new creation. It's at those moments of crucifixion, of suffering and even death, that we can hold on to him. Right? The one who reminds us to celebrate because suffering will end. Death has been defeated. Restoration is yours and love wins. Now I know it's hard to celebrate sometimes. I know that some of you here might have trouble celebrating today and um, when I talked to Fred about what I might preach on today, following a Next Step Sunday is this idea of celebration. And then this week happened. Right? And, then, and then this world happened. And then you look around at everything that's going on. And it's hard to celebrate. Um, because of the reign of sin and death, sometimes that's all that we see. And it's hard to focus our eyes on this bridegroom who makes us his bride and reminds us that it's always the right time to celebrate, even when we don't want to. I gotta be honest, I'm, I'm hurting. Um, a lot of this content from this sermon was from 2010 when, when we went through the book of John and I preached while, um, while we were on a search for a minister, like before Fred came. So, so we were in between ministers. And that was a time when I could stand. And so I cycled through grief sometimes. Like, and I think I'm going through that again. Like I need to acknowledge that and, and treat it for what it is. Um, and, but, but I need you um, to pray for me, to help me with my grief. And, and I want to be there for those of you who are grieving um, because we need each other. Um, so there's this video um, I found. There's, okay, so there's this guy. He's my friend, Bradley Hathaway. And he's a poet. He's like a spoken word artist. This, this might not be your thing, right? Like um, spoken word, performance art. Um, it's not always like everybody's thing. Uh, but it's my thing, so deal with it. No. Um, you, you um, like, like I get, I, like I, I love this stuff. Um, but um, uh, he, uh, get what you can from it, I guess. But, but he, he, he gives this poem called The Celebration Wedding. Um, and it's for all of those who might have a, uh, difficulty celebrating. So, and he, he goes through like, this is for the ones, this is for you. So let's play it. 
Well, this is for the ones whose hope is falling. And you no longer hear your Savior's calling. And this is for the ones whose backs are turning. And that passion-filled heart you once had has stopped burning. And this is for the ones abandoned, now all alone with no solace. And you think that you're stranded. And this is for you empty, by life branded. You had a vision that took leap, but never landed. And this is for the ones who are plagued by those mysteries of life and you feel torn inside by this mind and spirit strife. And this is for the ones whose desire to do good is always outweighed and you don't do as you should. And this is for the ones whose mistakes, they're just too many to count and the guilt on your chest just continues to mount. And this is for the one done wrong by sins that the corrupted hands of perverted men will hold on. Hold on, because soon will come that celebration wedding. Bundles of restoration will be your bedding. The trumpeteer is taking a breath, and the guests are taking their seats, and the bride is putting on a veil, and the father is making last-minute preparations. There's 10,000 times 10,000 angels waiting in the holy expectation, and the ready Groom is ready. Soon will come that celebration wedding. If you are hurting, your hurt will cease. If you are restless, you will find peace. If you are empty, you will be filled. And all of these doubts and questions will be stilled. If life for you is just too trying, your tears will dissipate. And there won't be any more crying. If the only thing you know is shame, you'll be cleansed and never again feel the same. And if you can't see straight, just focus, persevere and wait because soon will come that celebration wedding and bundles of restoration will be our bedding. Soon will come that celebration wedding and bundles of restoration will be your bedding. He says, he says, hold on. And he says, soon. Because there is an already, but not yet fully, reality to this wedding, right? Like, like it's already been done. Jesus has already <laughs> defeated death, and yet the reign of sin and death still shows up sometimes. So we can celebrate now, even in the face of pain, because Jesus has defeated death and he will end all pain. So you're invited to the celebration wedding where there is wine and there is shalom and there is heaven and earth becoming one. And so Jesus went to that um, altar. He went to uh, find his bride, um, and provide wine at this wedding because he died on a cross, right? His body was broken, his blood was poured out so that we might have that abundant life. And so we're reminded when we come to this table that this is a wedding, right? And this is a party. Um, and we come and we remember our groom. We remember the one who made the sacrifice that made it possible that we could make our way to God in a new way. He brings us out of the rigid religion and into a celebration.